The name of the message is Christ our Ensign, Isaiah chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 to 10 this morning. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the ass. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the water shall cover the sea. And here's our text, verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, the same one that's spoken of in verse 1 is the stem of Jesse, the branch, a branch, singular, a branch. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glory. Today we'll look at verse 10 of this text, which proclaims that the branch spoken of in verse 1 is the ensign of God's people. And to it, to the ensign, will the Gentiles seek. Let's read verse 10 again. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Now the definition for ensign, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is a flag that is flowing as the symbol of nationality, and that may also be flowing with a distinctive badge added to its design. So an ensign is that which is flown by the armed forces of a nation. And it's, it's a standard that's out there. It's a symbol of nationality. And it's also, again, can have a distinctive badge added to it. But it's an ensign that goes forth. As an army goes forth, it goes forth before them. Today, I'd like us to consider how Christ is the ensign of his church. He is the standard of his church. Christ and Christ alone is the one who the preacher wants to uphold. He's the one that we want to uphold. He's the one that we want to proclaim before whoever's listening to us, whether it be whoever's sitting with us or whether it be whoever hears the message as it goes forth out to the internet. Christ is the one who the gospel preacher wants to hold forth before you. And each time we proclaim the gospel, we proclaim that salvation is only found in him only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He who is the ensign of his born-again, blood-washed people. That's Christ. Christ is the ensign of his born-again, blood-washed people. And may God, the Holy Spirit, be pleased to illuminate the scriptures today as we look at them and pour out his spirit upon us. And may Christ be in our midst. We know that where two or three are gathered together in his name, there are there am I in the midst of. He tells us, he declares to us. And may the Holy Spirit cause we who are his people, to gather around Christ who is our ensign. 
Beloved of God, we see here in the text in Isaiah, we see Christ proclaimed in the Old Testament. He's the root of Jesse. He's the branch spoken of. And it's he who came to this world. He left heaven. He left the glories and splendor of heaven. And it was he who came to this world. And the Lord Jesus Christ was God incarnate in the flesh. He was God. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. God incarnate in the flesh. And as a man, our Savior was a branch. The branch. Singular. The branch. Capital B. Not just any branch, but a branch sent from God. He grew out of Jesse's roots. But beloved, he is God, is the root from whom Jesse had his life and his being. He is God, is the root from from whom Jesse had his life and his being. And the text which we have read today is a prophecy of Christ coming into the world. And his being lifted up is the ensign of his people. For the gathering of all the elect through all the ages unto him in saving faith. Because just as the saints of old looked to Christ who is our ensign, we look to Christ who is our ensign. And future generations, if the Lord tarries, we don't know when he's coming, but if he tarries, future generations of the Lord's people will look to Christ who is our ensign as well. Let's read the text again with this in our minds. Let's look at verse 10 again. And in that day, that's this blessed gospel age, beloved. There shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Not just any rest, but a glorious rest. And we could say that as the people of God, can't we? We can say from our hearts, from redeemed, born-again hearts, we can say truly God's rest is glorious, because that glorious rest is in Christ and him alone. And in Christ we have the forgiveness of all our sins. Wrath of God has being turned away from us because it fell upon our mighty Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. His precious blood was shed to purchase our eternal souls. What rest we have. What rest we have. As opposed to religion that says, let's go and do whatever we can. Well, we have a rest. We get the rest in Christ. We get the rest in the finished work of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? We've ceased from our labors like the scripture says, haven't we? And we just rest in our Savior. We rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's glorious, isn't it? It's absolutely glorious. Now, in ancient times, armies would march into battle with a standard bearer before them. The general would go before the standard bearer, then the standard bearer would come, and then would come the armies behind them. And the standard bearer had the privilege of holding and walking and marching with the fellow soldiers, but with the ensign. And the ensign would be a flag or an ensign of their nation. The Romans had the eagle. Each legion would march into battle in a column as they were traveling with the general at the head and the standard bearer behind them carrying the eagle of the legion. And then the legion marched in column behind them to battle. In the United States Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, and Air Force, a guidon is a military standard that a company or a battery or a troop or platoon-sized detachments carry to signify their unit designation in branch corps, their affiliation or the title of the individual who carries it. A basic guidon can be rectangular, but sometimes has a triangular position removed from the fly known as a swallowtail. Now listen to this. The significance and importance of the guidon is that it represents the unit and its commanding officer. When the commander is in, 
his or her guide on is displayed for everyone to see. When the commander leaves for the day, the guide on is taken down. It is an honor. It is an honor to be the guide on carrier for a unit that you're in. To be known as the guide on bearer or guide. Donnie Bell and I were talking the other day. He gave me a call and he said in the Marine Corps, the guide on, the guide on bearer he called him, after boot camp would march in front of the platoon and behind the drill sergeant, similar to what the Romans did. So the drill sergeant would be in front, then came the guide on, and then came the platoon behind them. And the Marine Corps did this in drills and ceremonies. Again, the guide on and the commander are always in front of the formation. Now remember, the scripture before us is written by Isaiah. And it's written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So one may ask, what is Isaiah's meaning? How are we to understand the prophecy of Christ being an ensign to the people of God? Again, the ensign is a standard, a banner, or the flag of an army. And the standard bearer is the soldier who carries the flag behind the commander who leads the brigade and directs the battle. Now the ensign for God's people is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is he who we who are the people of God rally around. The preacher is a standard bearer, holding Christ high. That's all we do. We hold Christ high through the preaching of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's elect, his soldiers, his sheep, gather around the ensign, the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, Christ is our ensign, our rallying point. Left on our own? Could you imagine the condition we'd be in? If our great God just left us to ourselves, if he didn't rally us around Christ, could you imagine the condition we'd be in? We'd be a mess. Christ is our ensign, our rallying point. He's our rallying point. Like a scattered army in ancient days who has been routed or scattered in all different directions. We have a mighty ensign, a mighty commanding general who appeared before Joshua as the captain of the Lord's host. And we rally around him, don't we? Every time we hear the gospel, we rally around him. We rally around our great God. Maybe through the week we've wandered a little bit or our thoughts have wandered. Or you know, It's not maybe, is it? It happens to we who are the people of God. And then when we hear the gospel preached and proclaimed, whether it be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, whenever we hear the gospel preached and proclaimed, oh, we rally around our king, don't we? Our hearts are revived and refreshed by the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by him and him alone. Turn, if you would, to Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. Here's a Old Testament Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And look how he appears to Joshua. And oh, how this will bring comfort to the souls of God's people. He's the captain, beloved, of the Lord's host. He's the captain of all the angels of God. He's the He's over everything. He's the ruler over everything. But look how he appears to Joshua here. He appears to Joshua as a mighty soldier. Joshua chapter 5 verses 13 to 15. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. That he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold there stood a man over against him. With his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him. And he said unto him. Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Now listen to the response by this, this man who's appeared before him with a sword in his hand. And I can just, in my, my own mind, I picture him all armored up and with a sword in his hand, just ready for battle. My, and listen to what he says to Joshua. And he said, nay, but as 
captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? He came. He came to Joshua, didn't he? He didn't leave Joshua where he was. He came to his people, and he's going to do battle for them. Look what he says. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Now remember when an angel appears to a saint in the scriptures, the angel always says, don't worship me. Don't don't bow down to me. But this, this man didn't say that because this is, a, again, a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the captain of the host of the Lord. Everything in heaven is at his command. Look at his response in verse 15. And the captain of the Lord's hosts said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Moses was told the same thing in the book of Exodus, wasn't he? So this is no ordinary man appearing before Joshua. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. My captain. The captain of the hosts of the Lord. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's a man of war too, isn't he? Look at that. He's ready to go to battle before his people. He's ready. And you know he has a whole host with him, beloved. Oh my. But those walls, they just fall at his command, don't they? He don't need no help. They just fall at his command. And they did. And they did. So we see in our text that Christ is the ensign of his people. And we see in Joshua 5, 13 to 15, that he's the commander of the Lord's host. And we know he is the commander of his people. Again, he goes in battle, into battle before us. And we follow him. Now think of this. Think of what we see here. We see a man appear to Joshua, who is the captain of the host of the Lord. That's our Savior, beloved. That's our Savior. Does he look like someone who, who's done all he can do? Now, did he, say to, did he say to Joshua, well, I've done all I can do, and now is the rest of us up to you? No, he said, I'm here as a captain of the Lord's host. That's my title. God, God. So it's ridiculous when people make statements like that. And this is the one who saved our soul. This is the one. The captain of the host of the Lord is the one who left heaven, set aside his glory, beloved, to come down to this earth. And to save his people from their sins. The Lord Jesus Christ did that. God incarnate in the flesh. Let us now consider some ways that Christ is the ensign of his people. First point, Christ is an ensign for war. Now an ensign is usually associated with war. And beloved, let us never forget that we are in spiritual warfare in this world. We have three enemies in this world. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we are plagued with this body of death, the flesh, which I believe is our worst enemy. We are plagued with this body of death until the Lord takes us home. And while we are saved sinners, we struggle every day, don't we? There's not a day that goes by. There's not an hour that goes by. There's not a minute that goes by where we don't struggle with sin. We're prideful, rebellious human beings. Even after we're saved. Oh my. Even after we're saved. Or is this but sinners saved by the grace of God? And we struggle with sin every day. If you don't think you do, you're deceiving yourself. And we also have the world, which is constantly before us, luring us to look away from Christ. Luring us to look away from Christ. Which is the opposite of what the Holy Scriptures proclaim, right? Paul again said to set your mind on things above. Well, the world wants you to set your, your eyes upon the world. 
in the allurements of the world. And we are so prone, beloved. Paul wrote those words. Remember to this, that Paul wrote those words to set your mind and your affection in Colossians. He wrote those words to set your mind and your affections upon Christ who is above. You know why he did that? Because we're so prone to forget. You know why we have to hear the gospel over and over and over again? Because we're so prone to forget. I was having a wonderful conversation with a dear, sweet sister last night. And she brought that forth. We're so prone just to let our minds wander, aren't we? And we are. But we know when we hear the gospel, we're refreshed and rejoiced. When we meet with other believers and we talk with them about the wondrous things that the Christ has done for us. Oh, it excites our hearts. Our hearts burn within us, don't they? They just burn within us. Oh, we're so prone to take our eyes off Christ. But the scripture constantly, through the preaching of the word, the scripture constantly brings Christ before us. The scripture constantly brings Christ, who is our ensign, before us. So we're at war in this body of flesh, beloved. We're at war. This world and its temptations is constantly at war with the flesh. And we're at war with Satan, who seeks to destroy the believer. But never forget, rejoice, beloved of God. He can only do what God allows. We saw that with Job. And we who are the people of God are under constant care and protection of our great God. So we see then that the church in this world is always at war. But rejoice, beloved of God, as Christ is an ensign for his soldiers who are at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. He is called a leader and a commander to the people, Isaiah 55, 4. He's called the captain of our salvation in Hebrews 2, 10. And here he is called an ensign of the people in our text in verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. You see, Christianity again is a warfare. And beloved, the people of God are soldiers, soldiers. So rejoice, beloved, and look to our great commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our captain, our commander, our ensign, our refuge, our hiding place, our all in all. And we are soldiers under the command of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, we must endure hardness as good soldiers of Christ, 2 Timothy 2, 3. And we are to stand fast, having our loins girded about with truth, Ephesians 6, 14. And that's Christ. We know that whole armor of God is Christ. It's Christ. And we march into battle behind our great commander, beloved, who goes before us in the face of Satan's temptations and despite the world's opposition and in direct opposition to the desires, tendencies, and pleasures of the flesh, we march behind our king. Oh, my beloved, as he led Israel through that wilderness, so he leads every one of his born-again, blood-bought children through the wilderness of this world. And you know where he's taken us? Right to home. Right to home, beloved. May God give us grace and strength whatever the cost to follow Christ who is our ensign, as good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number two, beloved, our great ensign, the Lord Jesus Christ is an advancing ensign. Now a routed army in ancient days rallied around the ensign and either fell back to safety or advanced again according to the commander's orders. The Lord Jesus Christ, our great commander, is ever on the move, beloved, through this world, constantly advancing gathering the spoils of his victory at the cross, which is his people, 
by the, the gospel of salvation in and through him alone. And note on our text, he is said to stand because he stands forever, immutable. He's, he stands forever as our immutable Savior, beloved. Look at the text again. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, to which shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. We know Hebrews 13, verse 8, says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, he's unchanging. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, like the tabernacle of old, moves from place to place as he is held forth in the preaching of the gospel. And rejoice, beloved of God, where the gospel is preached, there Christ is. And when the gospel is taken away, Christ is gone. Christ is gone. So, beloved of God, rejoice as we are privileged to have the light of the gospel here in Almont, Michigan, amongst us. Therefore, let us follow the direction of our ensign, Christ, who is our ensign. John chapter 12. Turn there if you would. John chapter 12. Look at these words of our Savior. In John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light. Let darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. They're blindly walking, not knowing where they're going. Walking in darkness. And I ask you, was that not us before the Lord saved us? Was that not our situation before the Lord saved us? Were we not just walking around groping in the dark before the Lord saved us? Yes, we were. Oh, yes, we were. Well, ye have the light. Believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Christ is the light. He is the light. The third point I'd like us to consider is Christ is a gathering ensign. A gathering ensign. Now in ancient times, and as we saw earlier in the study with the Marine Corps, the purpose of the ensign is the gathering of soldiers to rally them before the commander. And beloved, the standard bearer, the sent gospel preacher, holds forth Christ, who is our ensign. He's our ensign. And the gospel preacher just holds him forth. Just holds him forth. And as the message goes forth here and into the world, the Lord's people are gathered. They're gathered by the power of the Holy Ghost. Power of the Holy Spirit of God. And who are they gathered to? Christ, who is our ensign. That's who they're gathered to. And through the preaching of the gospel, Christ, by his servants, says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Take up the cross and follow me. Whosoever will, let him come unto me. Let him come unto me. Oh my, what a great Savior. What a great Savior. And when Christ speaks to his people through the preaching of the word of God, the truth of the prophecy we see in verse 10, to him shall the Gentiles seek, the one who is the ensign, is brought forth all by the power and might of God the Holy Spirit. We are made to seek God. We are made willing. The unwilling are made willing in the day of God's power. And we seek God. We seek God, don't we? We seek him. And this is a work of our great God. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. This is all by the power and the work of our great God that we will seek Christ who is the ensign of God's people. It says in Isaiah 11 verse 12, and he shall set up an ensign for the nations. God's people are a people out of every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. And shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah 
from the four corners of the earth. Note what's said there. And he shall set up an instant. God will do this. And note what it also says. And shall assemble the outcasts of Israel. That's us. We're the Israel of God. God's people. God's born again, blood washed people are, are the outcasts of Israel. And gathered together the dispersed of Judah from all from the four corners of the earth. Who's doing that? Is that those outcasts of Israel saying, well, now I'm going to make a decision now. No, it says God will gather them together. This is a work of God, beloved, and God alone. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 8, it says, The Lord which gathereth the outcasts of Israel, there it is again, yet saith, yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. Isaiah 56, verse 8. It's God who gathers his people. It's God who does this mighty work, not man. And beloved of God, we who are the elect of God are gathered around the ensign of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are gathered to him all by the mighty power of God and God alone. It's God who makes this come to pass. And we flee to Christ, who is our ensign. As the sheep of the shepherd, we flee to the great shepherd. As the manslayer fled to the city of refuge, so we seek Christ, who is our ensign. We flee to him. As chickens to the hen, when danger comes and she puts her arms around him, them little chicks, so we flee to Christ. So we flee to Christ. Because Christ is our guiding ensign, beloved. He's our guiding ensign. That's the next thing I'd like to look at. Christ is our guiding ensign. And in ancient days, as the standard bearer went forth with the eagle, it showed the soldiers which way to march, which way they were to go. And it was their duty to follow that ensign. It was their duty as soldiers to follow that ensign. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the ensign of his people. And it is our duty to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's people, isn't it? It's an honor too, isn't it? It's a privilege. It is. And we are to follow him. Follow our Lord. He guides us. He guides his children through this world. No matter where he leads us, we're to follow him. No matter how difficult it is, we're to follow him. And sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? Sometimes, as the scripture says, we endure hardship as the soldiers of Christ. But we're to follow him. Follow him. Peter said, where shall we go, Lord? When, when the Lord asked him, are you, are you all going to leave too? He said, where shall we go, Lord? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We have nowhere else to go, do we? Nowhere else we'd want to go except to Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the Lord Jesus Christ guides us by the Holy Spirit of God through his word. Isaiah chapter 59, if you want to turn there, I'll read verses 20 and 21. The Lord Jesus Christ guides us by his sovereign providence and irresistible grace. Look what it says here in Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21. And the Redeemer, which is Christ, shall come to Zion, that's the church, and unto them that turn from transgression to Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon them and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. And turn now to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, the Lord Jesus Christ, he guides us by his sovereign irresistible grace and providence. How do we know this? Well, look at Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. The scripture says this, and look at this. This is for every single believer, every single born-again, blood-washed saint of God. This is true of. 
It says here in Psalm 37, 23 and 24, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. He delights in the ways of God. God's people, are their steps are, are ordered by the Lord and the saint of God, man or woman, they delight in the Lord. They delight in the ways of God. It's not burdensome for us. Not at all. We rejoice that we're in the way. And it says, look at this, though he fall, and oftentimes we do. Oftentimes we do. We fall. We fall so much. But look what it says. Look at this wondrous scripture. Though he fall or, or she fall, the saint of God, he shall not be utterly cast down. Lord doesn't leave us where we are. He doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. No, no. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hands. Just like we saw last week, underneath us are the everlasting arms of God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. So whatever trouble we may find ourselves in, beloved of God, in this world, know that Christ guides us and watches over us and keeps us. Now let us consider that Christ is an ensign for the people who can only be seen by faith, who can only be seen by faith. The world cannot see Christ. They may have heard his name, but to them he remains unseen because those who are blind cannot see Christ. I was talking to a dear brother from Oregon yesterday on the phone. He gave me a call and we were marveling and how amazing God's grace is and how, how we once were blind. We were blind to the things of God we were blind to the scriptures. We were blind to the great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But now we can see Christ. And this is all because we've been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And we've been given God-given faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to look to the ensign, to look to the great ensign, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the world can they can hear about certain things of our Lord's life and they can know facts about his life and facts about his death and resurrection and his exaltation and his second coming, but they cannot see him by faith, beloved. They cannot see him by faith. Those who believe see, see Christ our ensign by God-given faith. He who is invisible to the natural eye has revealed himself to us because it pleased him to do so. Glory to his name. And who do we who are born again, blood-washed saints of God see? We see Christ. We see Christ. By faith, we see Christ, who is our ensign. We see he who is God incarnate in the flesh. We see he who saved us from all our sins and purchased us with his precious, precious blood. And why did he do it? Oh, because he's loved us with an everlasting love. And we, he knew we had no ability to save ourselves from our sins. Oh, but the great love that he had for his people. He left the glories and splendors of having been worshipped as the captain of the Lord's host. He left that. He set aside his glory, beloved. Come to this world. And if you're a believer, to redeem you, to redeem me from all our sins. And I, I'll say my sins and you say your sins. That's what he did. The king of glory did that. Marvel, beloved. And where is he now? Well, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Right now, ruling and reigning in majesty. Right now, right now. He's interceding for his people. 
ruling and reigning over all things, visible and invisible. Every single thing that's going on, he's ruling over it. Oh my. Next point is Christ is a uniting ensign. In ancient times, again, when an army was being routed or overwhelmed, the general would command the standard bearer to place the ensign near him so the troops could reassemble around him and be a united force. At that point, they are united. Also, though they are many and varied, they are united as one. They have the same commander. They're all engaged in one cause. They are not seeking their own agenda. No, they are united as one with their commander as they have all sworn allegiance to him. Beloved, think about this. Christ, who is the ensign of his people, it is he who we are united in. It's Christ who we're united in. He's the center of our unity. Even as this church, we gather together professing that we are united in Christ. That's that's the one thing we all have in common, is that we're saved by, by the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us then, as a body, walk in unity. Let us not be divided. Let us not be divided. Christ Christ died to make Jew and Gentile one. Christ died to make us one. Oh, beloved. And he prayed for the unity of his people. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 17. Do you know Lord Jesus Christ prayed for the unity of his people? He did. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. Neither pray I for these alone, being the, uh, the apostles, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, not divided, that they may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. We're one in Christ, beloved. The true, born-again, blood-washed believers are one in Christ. Jew and Gentile, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. And God's grace makes his people one. Let those who divide God's saints be warned. Proverbs says, pride goeth before a fall. Pride goeth before destruction and in a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He that handles the matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Lastly, let us consider that Christ is an exalted ensign. Beloved of God, the ensign is lifted high. The ensign is lifted high above all the heads of the people. Lifted high upon a pole and set upon a hill. Sometimes when the general would rally the troops, they would rally him on a hill, on a high point. Or the ensign is on a high tower. And let we who are the people of God rejoice that Christ, our ensign, is lifted up and exalted in three ways. And I want us to think about something. Every time you drive by and you see a flag of the United States of America, this great country we live in, that's the ensign of this country, beloved. And let that be a reminder to you each time you see that flag that Christ is our ensign. He's our ensign, beloved. He's our ensign. Now here's three ways to close that our ensign is lifted up and exalted in his death when he died upon the cross. Our Lord was lifted up. He was exalted. The Lord Jesus Christ said this in John 12, 32 and 33. He said, and if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Oh my, and he's, he's, he's going to get every single one of his sheep, wouldn't he? They're not going to be one that's going to be lost. Not one whom he died for will ever be lost. 
And then he was lifted up and exalted in his resurrection and exaltation. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 to 11, it says this, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, let's go back to Joshua, right? The captain of the Lord's host appears to Joshua, the sword in his hand. That's the one who humbled himself, became a man, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, the scripture says there in Philippians. And then it goes on to say, Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He's exalted, he's risen. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then Christ is also lifted up and exalted in the preaching of the gospel. Now turn, if you would, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 14. A lot of people often quote John 3.16. It seems to be a favorite verse of a lot of people to quote. And it's a wonderful verse. It's a beautiful verse. But I don't ever like to quote John chapter 3 verse 16 without John chapter 3 verse 14 and 15. Look at this. Christ is exalted and lifted up through the preaching of his gospel. Look at this. John chapter 3 verses 14, 15, and 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Remember he lifted up that serpent and all who looked. To that ensign, right? That serpent was a was an ensign. All who looked to that serpent lived. All who didn't perished, right? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Christ was lifted up on that cross. He was lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. There's, a, there's the clause, right? Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And I'll tell you what. Every born again, blood washed saint of God who Christ redeemed on Calvary's cross shall not perish. That's what the scripture declares here. But have eternal life. Look at that. For God so loved. Why was why did this occur? Because God so loved the world, his people, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Look again, it's even in 16, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So those who do not believe on Christ, we can conclude from these verses, will perish in their sins and do not have everlasting life. So rejoice, beloved of God. Rejoice if Christ is your ensign, because that's by a work of God. That's by a work of God. To God be the glory.